Okay. It's been a while. Thus you and I are God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please add and I are God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you and I who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we were, uh, we were going to continue in, in the series that we started uh, preparing for the election. And uh, last week we, we talked about the distribution of wealth and whether wealth should be distributed. I think we agreed it should be distributed. The question is simply, by whom should it be distributed? And uh, I'll let you listen online if you haven't heard that. Um, I was going to continue along that series, and then uh, we had a guest arrive from the Tim Hegg conference on the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was preceded by two special classes on rabbinic authority and on uh, <coughs> the uh, question of separating with regard to kashrut. And uh, so I've asked that expert guest to, uh, to sit and uh, share with us what was uh, said at the conference. So before, uh, before he or she comes up, uh, I need to make it clear that this person is not speaking on behalf of Tim Hegg, but simply regurgitating what he or she heard from Tim Hegg. Uh, and secondly, uh, that should we have questions regarding this position or positions, um, that this individual may or may not have a response from Tim Hegg. Uh, unless it was specifically articulated. Um, but I'm confident that uh, he or she might have developed a personal relationship with the bald one that uh, might allow us to uh, gain further insight uh, via email and telephone calls uh, afterwards. So uh, tonight's class will be specifically on Kashrut and should we separate? What do the scriptures say, and what does the Hegster indicate? Uh, having finished his paper on separation, um, but not publishing it yet. So, without further ado, uh, please welcome our guest speaker, Master Scriptory. introduction. Like Dad just said, I'm really just, I'm really just uh, repeating what was already said. I took a lot of notes and I actually have the document in question, <laughs> an original if you will. Um, 
describe. It's it's entitled. I mean, this this obviously isn't the document. That's a different document. It's entitled. Do we, do we need to get it? Yeah, I'll look at it in a second. An inquiry, in that um, he's not he's not really saying one way or other. He's just looking at the scriptures, trying to look from like an unbiased perspective to see you know, where this tradition came from, tradition slash interpretation of those three verses. So give me just a second, I'll go grab it, because I left it in my bedroom. So, so Tindak is not published yet. His the document is, is complete. Um, it's, it's my understanding now that he's out of the room. Uh, that there was only one typo found, and it was in Hebrew. The <laughs> Hebrew had an accident, a mistake. Okay. And uh, the young one, the tall one, found the mistake and brought it to Baldwin's attention. What was that? Nothing. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so how many people here actually separate now? Not you? Not really. That's okay. No judging. <laughs> I also you may actually be in the majority by the time the class is over. Yeah, well, who knows. So, um, Mr. Egg has a couple a couple main tacts that he uh, that he's going to go along here uh, to analyze what's going on in the scripture. So we'll begin in noting that there's three places it says in the Torah not to, what's the exact text? You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Uh, these three places, Exodus 23.19, 34.26, and Deuteronomy 14.21. So, uh, just looking at the context of these three texts is the biggest thing. Uh, Exodus 23.19, uh, if we look at it, and I don't have the text here, but I can probably look at it real quick. Yeah, we can um, go, right? Exodus 3.19? Exodus 3.19. Is that what I said, right? Yeah, 23.19. Um, and Tim's point here is pretty, is pretty straightforward in that the context of this command seems to be in the pilgrimage feasts, Slash, talking about uh, offerings. So 23, like 10 and 11 is the Shemitah. 12 is the Shabbat. 13 is um, idolatry. 14 through 17 are the three pilgrimage feasts. And 18 and 19... Uh, he's saying lists a couple of prohibitions regarding sacrifices. No blood. Uh, you should not sacrifice with anything leavened. Uh, the fat and the best of your first fruits you should bring, and you should not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So contextually, it doesn't look like that has anything to do with food, I think is obviously his first point. Contextually, that passage seems to be about at least the last couple of verses, specifically talking about uh, offerings. Want to track here? Go. So Exodus thirty-four twenty-six is the next 
time it's mentioned. And this is uh, nearly identical contextually. Um, again, seems to be connected with offering festival sacrifices. So 10, verses 10 through 17 are all about um, Mount Sinai. I'm just sort of looking at his article here. 18 through 26 is the festivals and the weekly Shabbat. Verses 27, uh, I think those are just commandments. Uh, maybe the Ten Commandments. And then there's the prohibitions. Okay, so 25 through 26. Uh, same thing. You should not offer the blood of my sacrifices with anything leavened, or the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So those are almost the exact things we saw in the, before, except uh, there's something on Passover there. Uh, the young goat in his mother's milk is still coupled with the first fruits of the ground in this part, just like it was in the first. Again, this does not seem to be in contextually about food at all. It seems to be uh, a, a potpourri of different things, but no, not really kashrut per se. Last text where it says is in Deuteronomy 14, 21. And this is obviously the, the notorious one because the verse, you should not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, comes directly after a reiteration of all the kosher laws. So they got um, all the meat you can't eat, birds and the fish you can't eat, and then you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. So, he does have some comments on that. Contextually, this one follows um, the food, yes. Uh, and then, verse 21 says you may not eat an animal that has died of itself. And then you have, the, you can give it to a sojourner, and stuff like that. Um, and he's, he sees a, uh, what he calls an inclusio, which is like bookends to a, a, a passage of scripture. In the beginning of 14, we have, uh, you are holy to the Lord your God. And then at the end of, or you are people holy to the Lord your God. And at the end of verse 20, 21, we have, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. Again, so uh, he's seen those as bookends. And then as you shall not boil the young goat in its mother's milk as the start of this new passage, which extends all the way to the end of the chapter, or actually into the beginning of the next chapter, which deals with the yearly tithe of the produce of the field and the firstborn of the flock, which are to be eaten in the place where the Lord your God shall choose to establish his name. The exchange for tithe for money if the distance is too great. The tithe of the third year, and that's to give to the Levite, the widow, and the orphan. So his point here is that uh, this this tithing section also still carries the idea of bringing the first of your animal or the like the first the first link. So it's still part of the offering. So it, yeah, it was still sort of an offering dealio. And if you accept that idea that uh, God was bookending the food things, and then this is in the sort of a tithing slash bringing up something. And this is heading it off. So we've seen it still as in an offering context. 
So that's how we have dealt with the the generally raised issue that that's in the that's in a food context. So it's there you go. So exited the two Exodus passages are pretty clearly not in a food context and with a little help it looks like the Deuteronomy passage could be you could interpret it as being about these the firstlings and the tithing, etc. Well can we let's take a couple of Yeah, that's the end of the first section. Points there. So yeah, so I I, I mean I agree the Exodus, the context is offerings, mm -hmm. but to but to disconnect uh, to disconnect the idea of offerings completely from the idea of food seems a little bit of a stretch because the the Kohanim that's that is their food, and that's right? well. What I asked him after the uh, the lecture was done was. Because he had gone through his whole whole deal here, and I asked him what he thought the command actually meant. Because he, he went through everything he thought it didn't mean, right. and uh, it does have to do with food in his mind. It, um, it has to do with the Kohanim's eating, because you the, the meat is boiled for the Kohanim. So he's saying the prohibition is that the Kohanim would not boil their meat in its mother's milk. They would, they would boil it in water or something. There'd be no thickening agent type deal. So it's it's a food thing, but uh, it, it's in that context of offerings, and I, that's that's where sort of where he's coming from. Hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Um, if I go back to uh, Exodus twenty-three, was it nineteen? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm looking at trying to figure out if it was a command to the Kohanim, it seems inconsistent with the rest of the context, because the rest of the context, he's not speaking to the Kohanim. Well, the food, I mean, the eating the offering. I mean, the offerings were primarily food for the Kohanim, yes. but not exclusively food for the Kohanim. Right. Because yes. in some cases, some of them were all Right, exactly. In some cases, the, the, off, the offeror has to eat. Right, and, and he might, and he may agree with that. I may have sort of misquoted there, but the idea that when you bring up the food yeah. and it gets boiled, I remember him saying that that's what they did. Is that that food, the food of the offering, was boiled? Yeah, you would not boil it anymore. Right. So. Um, the, the, again, a couple of things that come to mind is it doesn't mention the Kohanim, um, and so that, that's bothersome to me. And second, I would expect that this would be in the plural, though. Not you individually, but you, all the Kohanim, shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. But I don't see that in the Hebrew, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I can't even figure out if the U is plural or singular. Um, I can't even figure out what the word is. Um, so maybe somebody who's better at that than me can figure that out. Third, and I think more importantly, is I may be wrong, but I was under the impression that there were there there was no dairy in any of the offer. So if there's no dairy, 
why would they even think of adding dairy into the mix at that point? That seems well people, so out of context and inconsistent. I mean, it, further on, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. But in the Middle East now, to cook a goat, because goat is, if you're going to boil goat meat, you boil it in milk because it's so tough and it will be tasteless and stuff. Hmm. So I think his idea was just you would be tempted to do this because That's everyone does that. Okay. Um, so maybe like in an idea of how inhumane that would be or something mother, I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I didn't check Exodus, but the you in, De in the Deuteronomy passage is singular you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, but the Deuteronomy one is, is the one that might be associated with more with food than, than the other two. Right. Exodus. Um, I'm just trying to remember where it says that the offering is boiled, because that sounded familiar. It's actually Exodus 29.31. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. See, I appreciate you finding that because yeah, I, I, I don't remember that. I, I yeah. remembered it was somewhere that because there was that connection. But. Yeah, because that's how you're going to cook that meat. Right. Because you can't eat raw. Yeah, except the pesa. That mm. has to be roasted. Mm. Good. Yeah, I don't think it addresses the mother's milk. It, it, it appears to be more of, uh, it, again, just to summarize, not, not to pick. Um, here's the rules for the sacrifices. By the way, you guys are going in, you're going to eat these sacrifices. Make sure you don't boil that kid in milk, is what I'm hearing. But the text says, you shall not boil a young goat, not that young goat, but a young goat, number one, in its mother's milk. Not just any milk, but its mother's milk. So it, it seems to be so much more specific than than just trying to say, hey, you know. Well, and that's that's a good point, and I think he actually uses the same argument against rabbinic separation in that it says do not boil a kid in its mother's milk, and now that means yeah, we're taking everybody all meat with any milk, because mm. um, he's going to address how it doesn't seem like anyone. Well, he he mentions that the word mother would seem superfluous to traditional rabbinic interpretation. Mm. Like, why is that word there if it doesn't really matter? Right. If it just means milk, so yeah, that's true. I mean, he did, but in his uh, in his thing, he didn't have like an answer for that. He just said it seems superfluous if you're going to interpret this as. So the other, the other thing doesn't work on either side. Yeah. But 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 how does he address the word KD? With the impact, So, textual and exegetical comments on the three texts. Um, he is going to be using a couple different things here. Masoretic text, obviously, is sort of what we're all familiar with. Uh, the Septuagint and the Samaritan Pentateuch. Is that anybody, slash everybody familiar with that? The Samaritan. So the Samaritans uh, had, this. having the Samaritan Pentateuch gives us a, 
a little more insight to a proto Masoretic text uh, because they have they have a separate system of vowel adding to this text that's different from the Masoretic text, but it's like they they use the same consonantal uh, starting point. So it gives us sort of a clue as to this original text, because the Masoretes, not Masoretes? Masoretes. Masoretes added their vowels, Samaritan. The Samaritan Pentateuch has some, the Samaritans switch some things up. Like uh, I think they say, like the blessing and cursing mountains are switched. Like, I don't know what it is in the real Torah, but they do something with Mount Gerizim, and they put the other one on that one. I don't know. It's a Samaritan thing. So. You can't, I mean, you know, you take it worth a grain of salt, but it's supposed to give you a better insight to the proto Masoretic text, the before the Masoretic text. So he's just looking at the those three, also some Syriac text, but I don't actually think he ever looks into that. But, uh, if I can, Pete, before you go on, let me just point at the wall and make sure everybody's on track here. Um, the Septuagint points to the wall. Okay, if you point at that wall, you're right. If you're pointing back there, you're too late. It is there about 325, before the Common Era, before the Master. 325, okay? So that's over 300 years before Hillel, right? The uh, Samaritan Pentateuch, have you got any kind of data on it? It's Same kind of data? Uh, I wrote this. Right before the Maccabees, was it? Yeah, most people consider the... Uh, the Samaritan, most people, most scholars say the Samaritan Pentateuch came a little before the Septuagint. So the Samaritan Pentateuch. Before the Septuagint. So now you're looking at probably 400. So closer to the, you know, you're getting towards the middle of the wall. Maccabees, what date? 165. 165, right? 165, 168. You're, you're, you know, closer to 200, 400. You know, that's, that's a lot of time. That's the length of our country, right? How about the Masoretic text? Where are you going to point? That's good. Look at that. It's a little wavy action. Yeah. The Masoretic text is about here at about 7 to 725, 750. Okay? So you're definitely on the right-hand side of the wall. Now, if we're using the Masoretic text and we're grateful for the Masoretes and you know, tooling it down and getting all of the, the dots and tittles and jots and so forth. You know, if you add on the 200 years or the 400 years, you're literally talking a thousand years later than the texts that, that Tim wants to use here. Okay? So, you know, from a credibility perspective, we're getting closer to what would be before the time we're talking about. And he's going to bring in a little bit of the Dead Sea Scrolls as well, because that's sort of a recent discovery. Recent discovery, but the Dead Sea Scrolls are texts that are back before the Master's Day as well. Good. And the reason just being because the Masoretic text is uh, so far after Yeshua and Christianity, and so it could have some... Not to say that they weren't very accurate, because they were very accurate, but he's saying that, you know, traditions could have gotten in the way a little bit there. So, Exodus 23, 19, uh, 
Every, what you guys have in your Bibles is pretty much what the Masoretic text says. The Septuagint has the first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a lamb in milk of his mother. So, slightly different. He underlined lamb because uh, the Masoretic text says goat. Of course, the Masoretic text says kitty. So. Okay, so the Samaritan Pentateuch actually has a whole extra sentence on the end. And it says, The first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of Adonai your God. You shall not boil a young goat in the milk of his mother, for doing this is like a sacrifice forgotten and a rage to the Lord, to the God of Jacob. Like a sacrifice. But what, what's the... I mean, those are the English translations of the two texts, but has what I would be interested in is what is the word, actual word in the original language? Which word? Uh, well, we know it's Gedi in the Masoretic text. What is it in the... Samaritan Pentateuch is Gedi. Okay. Um, okay. I don't so it's know the, the same word. So the original language is the same. So the English translation is just... That His point in, in, in this part is the added sentence of the Samaritan Pentateuch, not the difference right. of Gedi. In the in Septuagint... They use the word for lamb, which is like, what is it, a harkin? Or something like that. It looks to be. Um, an ar- arna, maybe? The goat? In Greek? Yeah, in Greek. The so, lamb? I don't actually know. It looks like. I'm sorry, what was the added sentence in yeah. there? So, uh, I'll just read from this part. You shall not boil a young goat in the milk of his mother, for doing this is like a sacrifice forgotten and an outburst to the God of Jacob. So it's like this clause in the end for yeah. doing this. And it, and it ties it into the concept of sacrifice again. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, and he's going to try to bring out this thing. Go ahead. I have a question. Because um, I've been hearing these um, scriptures in light of sacrificing. And mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if Ornia. 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 Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. If um, it's for this reason why we don't see dairy hmm. in the in the temple. It's because of, of what God is communicating through these scriptures within a sacrificial context. And then especially since the Kohanim were eating of the sacrifice, then it makes sense that they wouldn't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Yeah. So, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it makes sense to me that if we're looking at it within the sacrificial context, that we wouldn't see dairy in the temple precinct because of this. Awesome. Yeah. But, but, but what about if you're, what if it's the sacrifice is a bull? What if the sacrifice is a dove? Yeah, just then with uh, any other meat. How about a lamb? Not a goat. Well, I guess that I'm catching it, it's almost like dairy being specifically linked to pagan sacrifices, hence there's zero dairy. Like, there's no trees in the Temple Mount kind of concept. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is so much a pagan sacrificial concept, don't want to go anywhere near it. So it's, cause it is an interesting point that you are allowed to eat dairy apart from meat, and yet there's zero dairy that I, that I know of in the temple. I mean, you have vegetables, you've got wine, you've got grain, you've got Boy. meat, right. but Boy. there is no dairy. Right. And the 
particular sacrifice in question that Tegg's bringing to point that the, you know, Yishan Boyle, a goat in this milk, is referring to the, you, you had brought it up earlier, Greg, the ram of inauguration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what? Boyle. Okay. Was it? Was it the only time? Right. Is that was the only time that I saw in the Torah. There was a couple mentions of it in the, okay. like, Samuel and stuff, but the described people okay. boiling yeah, does, the meat. Does anybody know anything else about what, what that sacrifice would have been like? No it's, idea. Because that might be... Is an operation of what? An operation of the, of the priesthood? An operation of the, I doubt, yeah, the tabernacle? Exodus 29, take the round of ordination, boil its flesh in its holy place. Exodus 34, the best of the first fruits of the ground you should bring to the house of the Lord your God. You should not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Wait, it's 29. I just read that one, right? Yeah. Leviticus 8, boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it. That's uh, that's my right. And the bread that is the basket of ordination so offering. That's right, everybody cropped the first portion. So yeah. That's just your typical sacrifice. Right. You boil the meat. So, so wait, that's that's referring to any sacrifice or the first What's the context step? inauguration uh, of, of, of Leviticus. Leviticus eight thirty one. Moses took some of the anointing oil, Leviticus eight thirty, and yes, and the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments, and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. You should not go outside the entrance of the tent for seven days. Have a nice day. It's a great life, and you've got a good job. So is this incumbent upon sons of Aaron today? Or if, if there was a temple standing... If, if you have to inaugurate a priest, it's his first time, you know, to be engaged in temple service, does he have to boil? Uh, does he have to eat the, the meat boiled? Is, it, is that a, is that, I'm wondering, is that, in other words, is that a one-time boiling yeah, offering? For Aaron. Well, this is, it's the ram of ordination, again, as but, Greg but said for earlier, ordination in Exodus 29. Right. Well, Exodus 29 is the same thing, is it not? So, you, right. you know, Deuteronomy... I mean Leviticus and uh, and uh, right. One thing I was just wondering is it is it specific only to Aaron, or or it that, that time period? Is right. it like yeah. every high priest when he's inaugurated does this, or is it only yeah. for Aaron? And then because I know that Aaron is unique; he's the only one that's inaugurated without it being passed down from his father. Right. He's, he's the, the only he's first the, one. He's the proto. Yeah, that's right. Because okay, I mean, like with the example of when when Aaron dies. We don't see this happen again. It may happen, right. but it's not explicitly laid out in the text. Right. And and talk about. I mean, if if Tim wants to use the argument of this is superfluous, then I mean that would why why explicitly say three times, and in the context of people going up on a consistent basis, not to boil a kid or something else, when that only pertains to one sacrifice, that only happened once in history, mm-hmm. and doesn't reoccur. To, to me, that that yeah. linkage doesn't work. Well, even, I, if, I, even I, if it occurs every time you ordain a new Cohen, uh-huh. uh, a new high priest, right. it's still a very specific yeah. Yeah. incident. Yeah, and I don't think that's what it would be talking about. But it, and it seems like Tim is actually helping make the decision not to 
put them together because he's associating them with idol worship and all kinds of despicable things that weren't even close to being brought into the temple, which is meat and milk. So it's almost like an argument for this is so awful, it's not even brought into He's associated with idol worship. Well, the, the Samaritan Pentateuch mentioned something about, like, and this is as if it was sacrificed to, or whatever it was. And this is as if the sacrifice was forgotten. Was forgotten? Yeah. Oh. Forgotten or forgot? Forgotten. Like a forgotten sacrifice is what this meant. We did mention that. Oh, okay. Well, I, I forgot that. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to start, like, bringing up things that weren't mentioned yet. Like, I don't think... I think uh, so was, right? was the only one who said, or someone said about trees, dairy. <laughs> oh, that's the only thing. No, just the fact that it wasn't brought into the temple at all. No, it doesn't grow No, just it seems like that's a that's more supportive of staying as far away from that mixture as possible. Mm. In other words, yeah, what Greg is getting at is that it's less a prohibition on the Levites because there's only one offering that they're doing. As much as a prohibition on all yeah. of Israel, it's kind of like don't have an Asherah tree in your backyard kind of concept. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, go ahead. let me just no, I, let me make sure I, I, I've got this. The the premise that Tim is laying out laying out is that God said something three times, almost identically each time. That before you continue, is. Because I don't 100% know where Tim is coming from as to what it actually means. I, I don't think he knows. And I, I think it would be much better if we got through his. his well, no, no, I understand. I just want to make sure I got it. He's so far has implied that God has said something three different times specifically to speak to the Kohanim. Is that is that basically what we all heard so he's, far? He's only applied that because I just said that. Because so he didn't apply that new point? That's what I understood. Because I asked him after lecture is what I said. Yeah. And that's the only reason that you got that impression. Because okay. I just said that. Yeah, I got it. I don't know. That's the no, issue. No, he said in the lecture, though. Right. That no, was never said in the lecture. He is definitely tying it into sacrifices inadvertently to the Kohanim. Or at least to the first fruits. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you already mentioned this. Is it Rambam? Rambam? One of them does also tie it into a cultic practice. Well, Rambam does also tie it into a cultic practice. Does. Rambam, here's what Rambam is. Rambam in Mishnah Torah, when he's when he's giving his commentary on these three passages, he he unequivocally says that the interpretation that the interpretation that was well established by, by the time he comes on the scene is the right interpretation. In other words, there's a prohibition against uh, against mixing meat with milk. Then, at the end of the, after he kind of supports the current view, he then adds a statement that says, and oh, by the way, you know, it, it could be that this also has an origin associated with a pagan practice, right? So that wasn't the primary But, but he says, and he, he says that statement, and then he follows it up with, but that's just speculation on my part. <laughs> Yeah, because so Rob says I, it could be this, yeah. but I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing that you know, because if you ask if you ask a Christian about this, if they know anything at all, they'll say, "Oh, well, it's a pagan practice." Yeah, because that statement was actually made popular by the Rambam. Right. Even though the Rambam, when he made the statement, says this is total speculation. Right. And that was a thousand years ago. He's saying speculation. 
And, well, don't. and again, my point, what I was trying to say before, is when we hear that, we shouldn't use that as justification to then do it. Absolutely. Sure. It should be, oh, well, then I'm definitely not doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I agree with you. All right, so we're going to take a break and read the Septuagint? <laughs> no, no, we're going to read the Samaritan so Septuagint. We stopped right in the middle, and we can't do that. Anymore. All right, so yeah. that was just Exodus 23. And then Exodus 34, he's got in the same layout here. Uh, the Samaritan Pentateuch does not have that extra clause in this one. Um, but interestingly, the uh, you already all have a Masoretic text, but the Septuagint says, The first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not offer a lamb in milk of his mother. That's supposed to boil. Right. Which is which is interesting. Since it's that's, a different word entirely. Yes. Right. And that was sort of was this the Septuagint? Yes. This is Greek. Um, so, yes, in that is, is it is a different word. It's a different idea. And then in Deuteronomy, they're all pretty much exactly the same. Septuagint is still using lamb, um, but that see in the lamb, the lamb versus goat, that doesn't really bother me because mm -hmm. the term gedi in Hebrew, as I understand it, can mean either. It basically, just means a young animal from the, the goat family from yeah. that right yeah, yeah. So, but, but the word offer does again imply sacrifice it does and that's a pretty old text sure so that's all sort of you had to say of um, the textual comparisons okay. so again I, I just want to for my own mindset make sure that I'm getting this and it has nothing to do with Tim the Septuagint says you shall not offer a goat in the milk of its mother. In one instance. In one of the three it says that. Right. But regardless of how many times it says it, there is no dairy in the temple as far as I can tell. There is none. But when it comes to sacrifice, right. there is not just no milk. There's no dairy at all. There's no cheese, but, you know, nothing. But I don't think that's the difficulty, because it's not that... I, I don't go splash milk on the altar, but but the meat that I'm going to put on there cannot be cooked, can, can have no contact with it, the it's, it's the same concept behind the, the incredibly detailed listings of how to cook your brain offering. It can be in a pan, it can be with yeah. oil, it can be you know, sprinkled right. oil. Yeah, I was getting the, the same idea. But don't, for goodness sakes, don't. Yeah, oil is kids in its mother's right. milk. Because theoretically, like, it might not even necessarily... Sorry. No, no. I was going to say, theoretically, depending on the situation, you may not even necessarily be dealing with the specific offering in that moment. Because yeah. the priest takes some of the meat left over that's mm -hmm. not offered. And he yeah. eats it. And he eats it's it. His, and it's his, his food. And it's his meal. And it's his meal for his family in some cases, right, too. And sometimes so, it is for us. Yeah, so so theoretically there, this could be more prohibition again in, in that context. It's like, well, okay, you're going to throw it on the altar. You're not going to splash milk on the altar, but the meat you take off of the altar, don't go dump it in a hot... So right, you're moving away milk. from the altar, and right. you're going to say, watch how you cook the... Right. That's really but this is actually preparation for yeah, the sacrifices, yeah, yeah. or after it's... it's yeah, okay, now that, that makes perfect sense. I like that. That's the idea I was getting. You would offer an animal... And then the not the kind that you would know, be up, yeah, but the meat you were gonna take and eat. Mm -hmm. right. You don't boil that in the milk now. Okay. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm actually I'm still i I'm still surprised that this was I didn't realize this was common even today to soften and tenderize. I didn't get it. I find that interesting. Apparently the uh, Arabs. 
Of course. They soften. Yeah, they. Well, some some. Didn't Arafat claim to be a Philistine or something like that? So you were you were focusing a minute ago on 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 Gedi and and the the concept of the goat versus the lamb and so well I understand well but because one of one of Tim's comments as I understood what you said which. Maybe I didn't. He was focused. He was kind of making the point that the the word mother seemed kind of superfluous. Yeah, she mentions it. And, and and he was using the fact that this is a very specific statement. As you know, I mean, you were kind of making the point. It's very specific, and mm-hmm. so there's there's got to be something more to it. If I heard you correct, you said Tim kind of says the same thing. To, to there, I think both sides can use it. But, but I guess where I was going with the term Gedi is, as I understand it, in the historical context, that term Gedi is not specific. It just, it, it, I mean, it can be specific. It can specifically mean a goat or a lamb. Mm. But in the cultural context, it just means lamb. I mean, it just means meat. Which is why the interpretation, which is why the interpretation extends to all meat, because in the cultural context, just it's just like, you know, if if I ask you for a glass of milk, what kind of milk am I actually asking you for? Not yaks. Cows milk. Right, because in our culture, that's the common form of milk. So if I said, do you have any meat? In our culture. I'm probably, it's a good bet, I'm probably the asking beef. for beef, yes. right? In that culture, if you said, do you have any gedi, it was basically, it could mean lamb or goat, but it could also just mean any kind of animal flesh, right? Because it was the cultural term yeah. for meat. For the meat. And that's the reason why, in the cultural, historical context, Applying it to to meat beyond just lamb and goat is is good logic because that's how it was understood then. Yeah. So, and I know Tim pretty much completely disagrees with that um, because, and possibly he just didn't look at cultural uh, meanings of the word. I, I think he looked at biblical uh, the biblical usage of the word to okay. get his meaning, and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, because he's pretty sure goat would lamb for nothing else type idea. So okay. that would be the probably the biggest difference so far. Um, he's just going to walk through pretty much each of the pertinent words in the sentence, uh, the Hebrew words. So the first one is um, bashal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, let's see. To boil, to ripen. Uh, to sacrifice in Old South Arabic, or to cook unripe dates in Arabic. He's uh, going down the etymology of the word. So the, the verb is found 27 times in Tanakh. This is Bashal? Yeah, Bashal. So it, what, in the, the actual Hebrew of the verse is what? Lo Bashal, I think? Gidi, Bachalev. Exodus 24 19? Uh, I think it's identical in all of them. So, 
And it's interesting because even today in modern Hebrew, levashel is the verb to cook. So it's the same. It, it really shares it the same root. Changed. I don't know if it's the exact same root, but it shares the same root. Yeah. It's it was definitely the same root for yeah, sure, but it's I mean it's but specifically it's looking similar. at the usage in the Tanakh, right? Um, he has them all listed. Obviously, we don't need to check all of them. But uh, 24 times he's saying it means to boil. Two times it means to cook, for sure. The two times cook, it has to do with the Pesach lamb, which we know cannot be boiled. Right. And then there's a third time, which could mean boil or cook, and it's when Tamar needs bread and bakes it, which could be bake or boil, because she could have been making bagels. And <laughs> <laughs> then there's that. Second <laughs> um, Samuel 13. So, so let's see. Third text. Yeah, roast or cook is what he was saying for the Tamar thing. Yeah, you do. Um, Sorry, giving the uh, yeah the bagel thing. Is there uh, is there any disagreement on the usage in the Tanakh? Well, you said twenty four times it's boil. Yeah, it's but, what you can without a doubt. And then twice it's cooked. But the caveat is that when it says when it's translated as cooked, it's known that it cannot be boiled. Right. Well, I, mean, I think he said boil because in all those twenty four references, it references like pots. Ah, okay. Um, I think, because I remember him saying something about pots, and I don't know if we want to look up any of these, but... Would, would that be including the times it refers to... I was just looking at the references, milk? and um, 1421 is definitely in there. 2319, was that? Yeah, so he did include okay. those three. So, accepting those, there's 21 times that would definitely be boiled. Right, two times it's definitely cook. And one time, which is probably boring because she was probably making bagels. <laughs> and that, okay. that, that, that's in Samaritan Pentateuch. <laughs> 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 that's right, baby. bagels. Everybody wants a copy of these. That's in Tarvin Yemathon. The old school of the living family. <laughs> one time, it means to be right. Um, in Genesis 40, 10. So, so it sounds like that whole Arabic trail was a bit of irrelevant then based on the frequency of usage in the Tanakh. I think he was just doing this in the etymology as he's apt to do. Yeah, on the vine were three branches and as soon as it budded its blossom shot forth and the clusters ripened. That's the same oil. Um, Alright, so the Septuagint uses... Wait, 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 wait. Hang hmm? on. I'm confused here. It, oh, that's ironic. Um, wait a minute. Are you saying it, it's definitely boiled? Because the Exodus 12.9 reference... For story to cooking... 12.9? That was... Exodus 12.9 is the Pesach lamb. That's not... That's roast. It, it that's can't be boiled, but it says... Do not eat any of it raw or boiled, and that's the word bashal. Yeah. At all with water. That's so why. that one refers to a boiling. 
That's why it's right. so weird. So it keeps, we keep waiting. It uses the same word. It uses the same word to say roast. Right? Yeah. No, roast is different. Roast is salih. In that case, but in Deuteronomy 16.7, it says you shall cook and eat it. And the word is... So the irony is that the same the same discussion uses the words in two different meanings. Right. But Pesach Land and Exodus says don't bashal. Right. But do bashal. But not in Exodus. Right. Deuteronomy right. it says right. do bashal. But then you already know that doesn't mean the boiled one. Right. And that's that's the that's a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. But I think his point is the overwhelming usage is boiled. And there's only a couple usages here in the Tanakh where we know it can't be boiled. So you can take that to mean it can mean any way of yeah. heating or something, but um, that's, uh, that's sort of up for grabs. Septuagint, for these verses, uses the Greek word kepsa. Does that sound right? It sounds right. To boil. To translate bashal. Uh, just to throw one more thing in there, another reference is used. I'm just, just curious. Um, was Exodus 16.23 referring to the manna? Bake what you will bake and boil the shawl, what you will boil. Mm. So, um, and that's pitting, baking, and boiling. Yeah, I guess it's the only two things you could do with the manna. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else you could fry it. Well, since manna melts yeah. in the I'm sun. Just, yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, like if, if it necessarily had to mean boiled there, because I don't see any reference specifically to water. Yeah, but that seems more like a, a cook. Translation, maybe. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it oh, out that's there. A good, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, I don't really think we need to go through all four of them. <laughs> I just was just right. curious. But, but I think Pete's right. It is kind of up for grabs um, mm-hmm. on that. Tim. Tim is correct. Or Pete is correct in the same Tim. <laughs> correct. So, uh, we'll get, uh, once again, tell us about the Septuagint. Which uses hepso to boil in uh, Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 14. However, in Exodus 34, he uses a different word, uh, prospera, prospera, which is the one that I told you before. It says to bring or to offer. So, and he uses that in A, B, D, E, while A and F both have hepso. So, um, like four of the Septuagint manuscripts have that to offer, and two of them don't. This is important. So, out of the six, four of them have. So that's something. Um, Interesting, just... Go ahead. One other quick thing on the boiling thing. One of the other references is in Ezekiel, and it specifically is actually talking about sacrifices in the temple. When the priests go to boil, is the English translation there, the guild offerings and something else. So, um, I can't find that exact reference again. But that it was just uh, this is the place where the priest shall boil the guilt offering and the sin offering, where they shall bake the grain offering in order that they may not bring them out to the outer court to transmit holiness to the people. That's Exodus forty six twenty. I assume that's talking about the third temple or the new temple. Mm-hmm. Exodus or I'm sorry, Ezekiel Ezekiel forty six twenty. We went from Exodus to the third temple. I'm like <laughs> whoa. We're going deep. (laughs) Getting mystical. That's right. Okay. This point there was to try to push the bull. Uh, Second word we're looking at is Gedi. 
which is found 16 times in the Tanakh. Of these 16, 9 times it's something else. Gedi ha easy, maybe? So, and the remaining 7, which include the three texts under consideration, don't have that. Uh, that's the word I think for goat. Uh, I, I think that's what he's about to say, yeah. Uh, in Isaiah, Gedi is the poetic parallel yeah. to lamb. So it says that little, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the Gedi. Isaiah 11.6. Yes. Uh, this leaves us with just two texts in which Gedi is ambiguous. Oh, so I guess he sort of, I guess we were supposed to know what Haizim means. Yeah, I believe it referred to yeah, I, can't, I don't know the word specifically, but when I looked at other uses of the word goat, I think that's the one that they use. I can't remember right now. But so I think it's like it's like a classification. Because goat is weird. Like, if I recall correctly, like like in the offerings in Numbers, when it goes through all the, the amazing amount of offerings that they give us to goat, and it specifically refers to like a goat for a sin offering, and this is a male goat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a qualifier for the goat. It's like a bearded goat or something. Anyway, so... Um, like in that case, it would be saying like a giddy goat, a, a giddy giddy or or something. Not yeah, a goaty goat. goat. What's, <laughs> what's a reference that I use that word? Uh, does he have one? Or are we um, specifically clarifying something? Like a bunch. First Samuel ten three. Is one. Okay, I got it. Okay, uh, so First Samuel ten three and sixteen twenty. Yes, uh, he says. There's, this leaves us with two texts in which Gedi is ambiguous as to whether it refers to a young goat or a young lamb. Judges 14.6, 6, which describes the spirit coming upon Samson, Samson so that he tore him, the young lion, as one tears a Gedi. And 1 Samuel 10.3, which describes a man carrying three Gedaim. Yeah, three in all those cases, the English Standard and the King James translated that as good. Well, and I, Mr. Upham has a deeper insight into the cultural usage of the text, but it sounds like in the Tanakh, at least the way the English is translating it, mostly is we're doing, we're doing the goat for uh, it looks like just or lamb. Get that. Those two, well, those two are the two ambiguous oh. ones. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, was one of the ones that was unambiguous? Well, good question. Uh, if he said the nine times is found in the construction, so I guess we should look at those, like Genesis 27, 9, um, and 16, one of those. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them from the delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Right, so Gidi ha izin, he said, or Gidi izin. I don't know. Yeah, Gidi izin, which can literally, which it, it, it can also be used for goat's hair, but in this case, it, yeah, it's, it's like a linking to a goat. Yeah, because is, which is the izin, it means female goat. That's mm-hmm. the mother. So go give me a, a kid or a a goat from a mother goat. Mm-hmm. So Basically, it's being young, right? So yeah, essentially, it's like uh, that. I mean, in my mind, I'm just thinking like considering how Gedi can be ambiguous as to what it refers to. That is trying to clarify. Right. It's specifically talking about a kid of the goats, not a lamb. Right. Yeah, and interestingly right. enough, the English Standard in twenty-seven nine. 
That's the word young. Right. Uh, it's not Joe. Okay. They added Joe. Mm -hmm. So, like, verse Gideon's 16. Gideon's the word young? Or? Okay. Is. Yeah. Gideon is translated as young goats. Well, but I mean, if, if, is, is it, what is the word in, in the Pesach offering? Is it, is it a Gideon in the Pesach offering? Because I, I do recall specifically it talks about you can use a lamb or a goat for the offering for the Pesach offering. I think that's a different one. Is it a different one? I'm looking, the ones in Exodus are only 23, 19, and 34, 26. Um, like, so, what about Genesis 38, 17? So, he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. So, this is all from this the is flock. This is Tamar and Judah. Uh, so, I don't know what we're supposed to make of that. He didn't really, um, the, the text here is a little confusing. He says it's nine times it's found in the construction Gideon, and the remaining seven in which Gideon is not in a construct state include the three texts under consideration plus three texts he names. The context of Genesis 38:23 makes it clear that Gideon refers to a goat. Right. And Judah replied, "Let her keep the things as her own, or we should be laughed at." You see, I sent her this young goat, right. and you did not find her. Yeah, uh, to, to Joshua's point, right, and to I think what you said is it's when it's using Azim, it's it, it's doing that purposely to make the point that it's goat, and it, it is goat. So so it's less specific, or sorry, it's more. Uh, even though it's using a word that's, yeah, am I saying it right? That's less less common. It's doing that to make the point. But how do, but how do we know? How, how are we concluding with Azim? Yazim means specifically a goat and not just specifically young. You know, it means female goat. Yazim uh, is, yeah. is used repeatedly for goat. Like, you will see that, I'm almost certain that's someone using numbers. And like I said, in the case of numbers, it actually has to clarify what kind of goat. Because it's a male goat. Yeah. And so it literally adds, like, the word, like, for beard there. So it's like a bearded goat. A bearded what goat? Yazim or Giddy? Uh, hang on, let me pull the numbers references. Well, it's a fantastic. Well, in 27.9 is Gedi-Ezim. Right. You just did Genesis 38.23. You know, we're looking here at Gedi, at Gedi-Ha-Ezim. It's interesting, though, that yeah, in, in 27.9, that's the word young in... In English, in In, in Numbers 29, verse 5, it says, um, it refers to the offering for the sin offering, which we do know is, I guess, supposed to be a goat, or it seems to be, so it's always translated as, is a sa'ir ezim. And the sa'ir is the, is the word for, like, a beard or hair. Well, that's interesting, because I'm looking at Exodus 12, which is the commandment to select a lamb, you know, bring a lamb into your house for Pesach. Which is and it says, me, it uses the word mise, yeah. which is very similar to sayir. Well, th I think it's different. So, you know, say is definitely the word for lamb. Sayir is first to, to hair. The hair, like it means hair. Um, yeah, so, like um, in modern Hebrew, you can even like, 
right around here. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's actually so the word right here. That's um, or something similar to it. But with that one, it's say, and actually, if you look at the Exodus reference, I believe Ez, or Ezim does show up later in that same verse. So it's, you can get a, a lamb or a goat, and literally, so that's, I mean, that would be further, like, defense data that Ezim is definitely referring to goats. So again, going back to this point, a Gedi Ezim is a kid of the goats, clarifying it's not a kid of some other species. Right. Whatever that might happen to be. And, and it's a there's no reference in Exodus that uses Gedi for goat. Not besides the three that we were, were debating. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Two. Two. The other one's yeah, yeah. No, it, it, so actually, yeah, Exodus 12, verse 5. It is not Gedi. Well, it says, the you know, the English of the verse is, uh, is... Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. It's interesting. It says your lamb. Yeah. And, and the word there is say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentions it. Um, and then it says, uh, you may take it from the sheep. Uh, Just ha-kavashim. Ha-kavashim. Then And then from... Ha-Ezim. Yeah. Ezim is is goats. Ezim is goats. Gedi is just being translated as young. Ezim is That means young goat. Ezim means actual just goat. Female goat. So we're saying Gedi Ezim, a goat from... But see, that to me, that even further supports the notion that the word Gedi is really a general term referring to any young, young animal from the flock. And then if you want to clarify and be specific, you have to either specify Ezim or, or Sa'im. Yeah, but the, the way at least he sees it and a couple of the commentators on the scripture see it is that it's definitely a generic term for a young one from the flock, but typically from sheep or goats. Like right. you don't find that word meaning a young calf. calf. Yeah, but those are good flocks. Um, no, I'm just saying. Calves don't go in flocks. Right. They go in herds. Well, but I mean, to his point, because there is actually one of those references that we looked up. I feel like Egel shows up in, in one of the. Anyway, I don't know if it's with the Gibby or not, but anyway. Um, in other words, like there's a specific word to use for a cow. Right. For a calf, yeah. but like you would not, not use Gidi. It's not flockish. Yeah. So, the, so Tim Hague's point then is that Gidi can't mean a cow. It's not used for cow. Or, it yeah, only or refers to. So, in other words, you know, you could have a cheeseburger, but you couldn't have a lamb and cheeseburger. I guess right. you know that. That's well, the, the lamb and cheeseburger. So, <laughs> no, let's keep moving because this is a really long. Yeah. This is a really long. <laughs> um, the Ugaritic. Ooh. Uh, um, D appears in several Rosh Shamra texts. This doesn't really help us, but it always means the word kid. Common denomination of Gedi in the Tanakh, Baderwek, sounds fictional, writes, <laughs> in these constructions, Gedi means the offspring of goats, a kid, while in the absolute, it originally meant the offspring of sheep or goats, thus a lamb or a kid, like say. Leave it up to Tim to pull sources like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Potterwick. Yeah. 
Rashi on Exodus 23:19 expand expands the meaning of giddy to include both lamb and calf. Rashi does that. Uh, also, a calf and a lamb are included. This is Rashi speaking. Also, a calf and a lamb are included in the term giddy. Are we? Did he say calf or lamb? Yes, also a calf or a lamb is, is what he says. Now, Rashi may have expanded on that, but we know for certain that the practice predates Rashi by a long time. Well, a thousand years. Okay. But I'm, I'm wondering where you get the calf thing. Well, let's hear what Rashi says. Oh, yeah. Um, Right, this is sort of what you guys are saying. Uh, where Gedi is written and it is necessary to specify immediately after it, Izim, as in Genesis 38, 17, I will send you a kid of the goats. And the kid of the goats, verse yeah. 20. Yeah. Two kids yeah. of the goat, 27, 9. This fact serves to teach you that every passage where Gedi is stated undefined, also a calf and a lamb are implied. Yeah. Uh, Ibn Ezra takes exception to Rashi's interpretation that says he, he may he made it up yeah right too much wine <laughs> something like that Rashi Shmashi as in Arabic Gedi applies only to a goat and to no other species are we all in agreement here that Gedi is of the flock that, the sure. text seems to be supporting that sure so yeah. I don't think we need to go down the trail with Tim so you would not say that it means a calf. Not, I, not in. The, I would. I would say biblical text doesn't strictly flockish. It's. It's which, which in the biblical text it, it is definitely. Definitely seems to be limiting to kid of to a flock. kid of the flock, and a kid can be either a lamb or a goat. Yeah, but it's of the flock wherever you get the young thing from. That's right. So yeah, we're we're deep calving. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just read this because it's so. I'm, I'm just waiting for him to go. Well, then you agree with? Yeah. Oh, that's a big step. Um, just as a quick side note on the Septuagint, because the Septuagint always translates Gedi uh, with <coughs> bull, young goat, or kid, which is like something <laughs> I can't read. Sorry. In Greek, young goat or kid, except. In our three texts, it always translates it as lamb. Yeah. And one time in First Samuel, it translates it as goat. But either way, it's still in the flock. Right, but he's saying maybe this was a, a very early halakhic interpretational bent. Um, because it, it's just interesting to look that in, in all canon of scripture, it always <laughs> says young goat or kid, except in these three verses. It's the same word. But it, it uses a different word in Septuagint, and it says lamb. So in other words, what you're saying is it's possible that, that they expanded the word to mean goat and lamb by the time Septuagint was written. But that they specifically wanted to limit the boiled canis by this milk to only lambs. Is that is that am I following you correctly? That the, the, the Septuagint translates it as goat or lamb in all of the other no no, 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 The Septuagint always translates it as young goat. Oh, oh. And in those three, it translates it as lamb. Okay. But for me, walking forward to the rest of this class, we're flocking. Then why? It's either, it's, it's from the flock. Right. It's 
it's it's a goat or a lamb. Right. So far. Well, his summary point on Gedi was there is no evidence to support the idea that Gedi has a wide enough semantic range to include the offspring of other quadrupeds. Uh, gotta love this guy. So the bald one says quadrupeds. That's his. Uh, <laughs> that's his summary on Gedi. Now there's no biblical uh, help, but culturally and logically. Well, we're never going to finish if we go cultural logic. <laughs> I, I agree. To me, to me, though, I, you have to, you have to. St- I mean, I think we all agree that the word, right. the word, is the etymology of the word is of the flock. Yeah, that's clear, right? But I still think you have to step back and 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 try to, and we got to ask ourselves, okay, what is the concept here that's trying to be portrayed, right? Because, because to me, well, hang on, because you're going to get too deep. Get Let him go on, or we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll you and I will yeah. be. We should just keep it in the whole thing, and then we can yeah. What did Timmy say after he convinced us it was only flocking? So, uh, in the milk of which is what bachalei. Uh, so this is, I think, this is all pretty basic. I think what he's trying to do here is combat the. Comp- the, the idea of the people who say that it could mean fat in the fat, uh, which I've heard somewhere. I heard um, that too. What's the word for that? Is chalev, right? Chalev. Chalev. He has bechelev. Chalev. Which one's that? He has bechelev. Bechelev is in fat, he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Um, they have the same root. They have the same. Take out the, if you take out the vowels, it's the same letters. Right. Come on. Right. So let me just make sure I'm not missing something very, very important here. Nothing is underlined. Typically means unimportant. Um, yeah. Did he underline? No, I, I underline. Okay. okay. If Let's it's um, if it's important. Yeah. Mr. Hand, please underline anything important in the Bible. Okay, okay, so there's, uh, well, this is interesting. There's two ways to interpret with the milk. Ba, what did I say? Bachaleh. No, In the milk. It can either mean as locative or as temporal reference. Right, of course. So he means, it either means uh, in the milk or like in the milking stage. Right. Like still a suckling. Ah. Um, Huh. That's the temporal oh. reference, but he kicks that out the window and says that's ridiculous. Okay, oh, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. in the milk. He, he has a good uh, explanation for it, but because there's an idea that um, it's got to be nursing, and therefore it's right. nursing. Don't do that. Oh, that's ugly. Like the way he kicks it out is actually that sometimes we're told to sacrifice an animal that's uh, like only eight days old. Yeah, eight and days it, old is the youngest. And it would be, yeah, you would nurse for way suckling. longer than it yes, yeah. So we're almost commanded to sacrifice suckling animals. Uh, this important. Right, there was no evidence that fat was in fact original. Probably because the Septuagint does not ever use fat. Nothing really ever uses fat. I think that was just the carrots. Something... Um, the Septuagint Pentateuch does not seem to have that. I don't believe. Uh, we're moving past. We're past in the milk, and then he has one little thing on 
uh, emo mother. Mother, yeah. And he doesn't really say, uh, except, except why is mother there. So we won't discuss why we think mother is there right now, because we sort of need to discuss what we think the command means. Uh, but his, his point in saying this is, if the original intention was the milk and meat should not be mixed, then the added emo is entirely superfluous. It's quite dark. But, I, but you can flip it on its head and, and see from the other side to say, is it, is it even possible to figure out if the milk you're using came from that kid? See, I'm a little confused because he brought that up like it's one of his points. Really? Like, you're milking a goat, you move the, the bucket. Bessie's name is on that bucket. You move the, you do the it's all in the same bucket, yeah. you know? And then that all turns into cheese, you know? Because that was his point. It was like, how are you, how are you... Um, how are you going to keep that command? Right. How are you not doing it if it's just all this milk? Right. You know, how can you be sure... You never you know. did it in the mother's milk. Yeah. Um, As a non-farmer, that that's a biggie for me. That does make sense from his point of view, right? From his point of view. No, I'm saying that works for the side of, of not separating. Uh, I, know, I, I would say it works for the side. I think it works for both. I think it works on both sides, yeah. If you yeah. can't know for certain, How if you, you can't know for certain, then the, the fence, if you will, to make sure there's no violation is you just don't. Well, uh, or, 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 to, to or you're misinterpreting it. You should be stepping back and right. being like, yeah. well, there's no, we're just going to be mixing all of them. What is God really trying to tell us? Right. Well, I, I, I think that's the, you know, the, the alternative view would be to say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that I can boil this kid in, in someone else's mother's milk? Right. That's another question. Because the word, the mother is there, and I, it's it's not accounted for in either interpretation. I can tell you that when I heard this verse the first time, the first thing I thought of was the least command. What's the least command? Yeah, to shoot her. Right. You're going to take the birds from the nest, right? Right. You're going to make sure the mom's not there. You shoot the mom away, and then you can take the, the little baby birds. Although we heard a cool drosh on that this weekend. That's yeah. different. That's different. That's a break time. So that's the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, well, if you're going to boil the kid, you know, and just screaming and fighting not to get in the milk, just make sure it's not its own mother's milk. Somebody else's milk is fine. And maybe, you know, maybe the lamb will just jump in there and go, oh, well, it's not mom's milk. It's okay. Go ahead. Cook it. Yeah. Well, but in that same idea, you could also uh, ask the same question of the word boil. So if I just bring the water almost to a boil, but I'm not at whatever... Yeah, it doesn't bubble. What if I just say, then I'm good, right? Because right. I haven't violated... I right. didn't boil. What's, right? what's got intention? Exactly. And that's where that's where I was going earlier with my concept, with that, my, my statement about the concept. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to Solomon's point, don't do we really want to opinions. base our <laughs> obedience <laughs> on whether or not we're understanding understanding God's intention behind right. command. We've never we never do that. That's not our practice. Because there's something that you, that, that 
that you just wouldn't be able to approach right. and, and we can never know, and we don't want to know. So the bottom line is God said it, yeah. that's it. Right. So what does it say? There's a lot more. No, I'll skip past. There's a really, really dry part coming up. Um, <laughs> he mentions... Uh, <laughs> We'll try to get to the meat of it here. He, oh, 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 that's not the show. They're really milking this. Oh, that's bad. Oh, sorry, that's not true. Stop kidding. This locks about the lead. That's no. Separating the mother from the young, 
on that point, in an extreme sense, like not even out, out you know, not uh, less than eight days old, but in an extreme sense. Because it's your side. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because yeah. cause there is a principle of, like, of, of consecration there that is a factor. Because, like, if, if you consecrate a lamb and you decide, oh, that lamb, I don't want to offer that lamb, instead I'll offer this one too, it, it, then I have to offer both of them because oh. you've consecrated both. Right. So if you consecrated a pregnant cow, you didn't you find out both. Right. But you did. So they're saying. So I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, they would say that the separation of the mother and the young is so important that consecration doesn't count, or is that not? A I don't want to misquote. This is so confusing. But he has like, I think this is from uh, one of the scrolls, and it's not really important to his point. It's important to the Samaritan Pentateuch, and there's all sorts of fragmentation going on. I just keep seeing the word fetus. And I don't typically read that word. Um, so they do not slaughter in the sanctuary. Concerning pregnant animals, we are of the opinion. This may not be scriptural. This may be like a commentary they found type thing. We are of the opinion that the mother and the fetus may not be sacrificed on the same day. Well, that's scriptural. Right. Okay. That is scriptural. And concerning eating a fetus, we are of the opinion that the fetus found in its dead mother's womb may be eaten only after it has been ritually slaughtered. And you know that it is so, namely, that the ruling offers to a pregnant animal. This is a big garbage hill, but how do you ritually slaughter a fetus? A fetus. I mean, it's dead when you, Quite. by the time you find it. So, is that, is that a certain conclusion saying you, you don't need it at all, perhaps? I don't think so. Okay. I think you... <laughs> all right, let me make a suggestion. It's quarter yeah. nine. Mm-hmm. So... There's actually not that much left, though. Good. So, keep keep moving, because, yeah. to be honest with you, I really don't care about finding a cow. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what I was just trying to say. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm not moving away. <laughs> yeah. 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 We have to skip past that. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to rich the slaughter. I'm just going to you know, put it okay. aside. I'll get a hot dog down. You guys are not going to appreciate this, but we're going to do it anyway. Here we go. Because um, his point is... We're trying to examine what the possibly the proto-Masoretic text said. So pre-Masoretic, like what the Masoretes were using. And could you go ahead and define, or if I may for you, if the Masoretic text is here, pre-Masoretic text or proto-Masoretes has to be there's, there's yep. no text in between. It's, it's, it's got to be the ones we're looking we're at. We're talking sort of about the one that Moses wrote. <laughs> type thing. Which you know? either the original, <laughs> or it's the Septuagint, or it's the Samaritan. Well, those are, those are originals. Yeah. Those are all, they were all working, yeah. we're under the assumption that they were all working on. Working from. From. Yeah. They were all working from a, one text. Right. Who, 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 yeah. Obviously, we're Obviously, it's unlikely that they were all handwritten by Moses that they were reading in the first century. So, well, what were they yeah. reading? So, these were all copies, but we're trying to understand what's the what from, the from what were they reading. So, and his point, firstly, is that the Septuagint has, um, oh, the Septuagint manuscripts contain a verse, a version of the Samaritan Pentateuch edition. What, what in that? Exodus 23, 19, the Septuagint. Some Septuagint manuscripts. Huh. 
specifically 58767, that oh, says, yeah, that You shall not boil a lamb in its mother's milk, for the one who makes this kind of sacrifice is hated, and it is a transgression to the God of Jacob. Wow, so, so it's sort of like the Samaritan Pentateuch, and right. his point, again, one who makes this kind of sacrifice, type dealio. Other, have, other um, Septuagint manuscripts have a somewhat different version, which is, you shall not boil a lamb in its mother's milk, for whoever does this is as if he would sacrifice a mold, it is a provocation to the God of Jacob, as in a mold. But there's still something there about the God of Jacob. Right. So there's an addition. Importantly, and this is sort of his point, uh, they all have this for whoever. And in the Hebrew, that would be like key, you know, like because or for. Um, so he looks at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there's one fragment that actually has Deuteronomy 14.21. And it just has a piece of Deuteronomy 14.21. And it has the word uh, emo, mother. And there is a uh, there's a bait or bait preceding it, which uh, is in the text. And then there's like a partial letter succeeding it. And uh, he has a picture of it. And I don't know a whole lot about the strokes used in Qumran, but his point is. The, the bait preceding it has this uh, curvature on the bottom, and that is how they make baits, and the one that come after it does not have this curvature on the bottom, it's straight. And uh, his theory is that that is a, uh, what's that, a cop? A cop, like the beginning of key. So what he's really trying to say in a very roundabout way, and it's not like this is an authoritative language or anything, is that maybe there was an, a additional clause, maybe even a traditional additional clause at the end, talking about what a bunch of the Septuagint manuscripts say, as well as the Samaritan Pentateuch says. And there's evidence that the, the Dead Sea Scrolls also have this little sentence coming after in his mother's mouth. And that's Deuteronomy's passage? Yes, Deuteronomy 1421. I don't think they have things for the other ones that we've seen. That's uh, that's it on textual criticism. He goes then just into uh, traditional uh, Judaism's interpretation. All the Targumim, which are which are paraphrases, obviously, always uh, change the the Hebrew to "You shall not eat meat with milk." Um, so they're 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 typically targumim are typically halakhic interpretations of the text when we're talking about halakhic texts. Um, it, they've removed words and and added words, but they're trying to obviously get across the concept. Targumim is roughly what three hundred. The dating the dating of the targumim is it's earlier than that, I think. Is highly um, dubious. I don't know that we could nail down. They're sort of all over the place. Uh, Actually writing them down is is probably later-ish, like right over there. They're mostly oral, though. So you weren't supposed to write down the targums. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that if we're going to if we're going to write if we're going to date written 
target mean, we have to be past 350. We have to be past 400. Um, Rabbi Judith Prince is famous for redacting or writing down, if you will, the Mishnah, the Oral Torah. Um, he is famous for that because he's the first one that wrote anything down that wasn't the Torah. You know, it, it's a unique position. Uh, there were not scrolls lying around. Hand me that, hand me that scroll. Well, you were basically saying, hand me the Bible. It wasn't. No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't mean the Torah. I meant the Targumim. That didn't happen. That 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 was not an option in those days. So, if if we're if we're looking at the Masoretes, we're on this part of the wall. If we're looking at the Targumim, we're on that part of the wall. Whereas everything else we've been talking about is on that part of the wall. Yeah. That's different. That's earlier. That's. You know, but but like but like the Mishnah, it's important to note that the Targumim, at least as I understand them, were you know the, they were understood earlier, but they weren't written down. Until, Much earlier, right? absolutely. But you just have to keep in mind that the Targumim, since they were oral, are very flexible and stuff. It's not like this Targumim was always this Targum was this Targum. So if we're waiting to write it down to this point. Holocaust would have evolved to that point. So you can't use the, really any term even some sort of line in the sand. No, no, yeah, you, no, you can't. There's, just like you can't use Septuagint yeah. or to Pentateuch. It's all just to try to get some insight into what was, happened, what was yeah. understood. And, and when. And when. That's right. Shorsh writes referring to Uncleos. Nevertheless, both wording and context of the Hebrew text seem to show that this can hardly be the meaning which was originally intended. Moreover, even a comparison of the different rabbinic sources which discuss the interdict of interdict interdict of mixing meat and milk suggests that both the halakha and its connection with the biblical text developed gradually and in successive stages only. Um, is what they got, or what Shorsh got from the uh, Targumim. He has a thing about what the Targums say, because uh, a lot of the Targums, or some of them, throw this extra clause on the end of it. You should not eat meat or milk, or else uh, God will. Uh, it's 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 an interesting idea. It's, you won't. You shouldn't. I think it says you shouldn't bake meat and milk, or else God will bake your crops type thing. Um, so he was drawing on it. It looks like they saw the connection to, to the crops, like first fruits, but um, they were trying to make a word play on if you eat meat and milk, or if you uh, cook meat and milk together, God will cook your crops. He will scorch your thing. It's moot to the Targums. Um, Philo is all about the inhumanity of eating meat and milk, and how it's uh, you you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. Basically, the idea of eating the mother with this, and he draws uh, a couple of people who have been drawing on the, the egg thing. It sounds like Philo's concerned with the moral aspect of that. That even though the mother doesn't know and mm. the child doesn't know, the person who's doing it knows. Yes, and so they're held responsible for that. 
Yes. I'm not, uh, in, during the lecture, because he had an hour and a half to give it, and he, he, even though he breezed through it, he had to skip the last ten pages, I think. <laughs> not, not a huge deal in these, anyway. He basically walks through the Mishnah passage, which is, it's only about a page long. From where, by the way? From, from the reference? Yeah, which, which track page? The Mishnah is from Hulin 8. Does that sound right? Mishnah Hulin 8. I know when it was, just curious. Um, so it's like six things, and it's, you know, it's a, it's, I think it's stuff we've already all heard about the, the orthodox, sort of the orthodox position on um, separation of meat and milk. He touches on the idolatry aspect of it and the quote you were just saying about, was that Rambam or Rambam? Rambam. Yes, with an M. Uh, and how that's sort of been, because there was that Ugaritic text that I think it was brought up in Biblically Kosher, how that text had been disproven to me. There was a text that said uh, from like, the Canaanites or something. Cook a kid in butter or something. And you'll love it, too. And then it turned out that they had misinterpreted or misread it, and it actually meant, I love you. <laughs> it was completely unrelated to food in, in every way. So uh, that's, that's all good. Summaries. He summarizes for the next, like, seven pages. So I think, I think you have a basic understanding of where he's coming from. Um, his point, I know his point for, he's very big on the community aspect and eating and how uh, he's thinking that the whole definite line in the sand with meat and milk would have developed sort of in this time frame in the idea that that really cuts off table fellowship. And uh, someone in the, in the audience had brought up, well, kosher does that, you know, like you can't eat pork. But this, I guess the idea is that his article is trying to prove that separating meat and milk, and even separating it up to the point where Orthodox Judaism has separated it, is a tradition. Um, so if you, if you were just looking at the text, you come to one uh, interpretation. He didn't say what interpretation he came to in his article. But the idea of you were really relying on this a very big traditional interpretation and then the tradition based on this traditional interpretation for the separation of meat and milk. So not eating pork is very straightforward from God. And that should, you know, uh, be like a fellowship breaker type thing. But this interpretation is, is sort of a stretch to say meat, uh, meat and milk. And so I, I'm just saying his point about community is yeah. you're making a very big tradition that's going to stop community from, from happening. So I think that's mm-hmm. about it. That's good. Good. Yes, sir. Does, so how does he address at all the the master and practices of the Pharisees and that particular 
aspect? That's a very loaded question because um, his meat and milk lecture was given the day following uh, his his lecture on uh, rabbinic authority and Paul and the Mishnah, and uh, that question was actually brought up in in those lectures. And the idea of it was good to have that uh, context going into his meat and milk. It's harder to say it, but it's more more or less that uh, it's it's not heavily attributed. But Hillel and Shammai were talking about those things. Is is said in the uh, Talmud, I guess. And his point is that you just have to be careful with what you um, with what you take as true. If they really were talking about those things, he would say that uh, a lot of times people later on are going to have a halakhic practice that they're going to say was started much, much earlier on to give it authenticity to say that these people way back there uh, said it. And that gives it like an, an authoritative age. So his, his idea is that um, even in the passage where it says Hillel and Shemai are talking about this and like the chicken and in a bag and stuff like that, it says, and I don't know if this is an important point, but it says this is one of the six disagreements that so this is one of the six times that Shemaiah is more lenient than Hillel. But then you go and read it, and there's like there's a list of 27 different things where Shemaiah is more lenient than Hillel in the list. And I think his point was just we don't have a way to, to know did Hillel and Shemaiah really talk about this, or was this put upon them by later people to to make it sound to to give it the halakhic authority. That Hillel and Shammai were even talking about this type thing. Well, that was his point. It's a, it's a, it's you can't. I don't think you can prove either way. Um, you either trust that the, the Talmud in its completion is, you know, very valid and accurate, and that's and we can use it as historical backing for the time of Messiah, or you sort of uh, take it with a grain of salt. Well, I have uh, I have come back from conferences before and had to uh, be the expert on the hot seat, and it's not easy. And uh, I just uh, appreciate you sharing with us what you heard, indeed, and uh, trying to defend what you may or may not agree with, and what you may not even have had a chance to digest. <laughs> but uh, no pun intended, really. Um, but I, I am, I am grateful for your willingness to, even with jet lag, get up and, and share it with us. So God bless you. Glad we had a Bellator representative. So I, uh, I found this. Uh, yeah, I think I read to you last week uh, the, the prayer uh, that uh, according to the Talmud, so it, which may not actually you know, be authoritative or that we could even believe uh, happened, but... Um, Let's not get fastidious now. I, no, no, no. I, I just was reading uh, you know, that this blessing that the sages 
in the Talmud say that they said when they left the study hall? And I, I thought it was it was a uh, pretty cool uh, deal. Um, but I have this uh, this other one I found uh, actually in, in the uh, uh, in the sitter. And it has to do with uh, a uh, specific time that you, you pray this. I think it's Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or something like that. But uh, um, if I can find it in time here, but um, for me it was uh, it's a pretty cool deal. So hang on one second. Uh, and I'll flip to it here. Any last minute poignant jabs? <laughs> on, on that? Yeah. Um, I wasn't very convinced. Mm. Not that you didn't do a good job, but with those points. And I think it's a little uh, sad that, well, I, I, I can't put words in. Mr. Hank's mouth is definitely a Wait, candle. Okay. But that he's going away from mainstream Judaism um, and not accepting, okay, here's a commandment. Let me not stop and figure out what the heck it means now. Let's look at the way God's people has, has been doing it. And, and you know, God's given the oracles for them. Uh, so it's that's got to mean something. So that, I think, while you don't follow them blindly, which I think we all agree, uh, they they have a place when it comes to looking at commandments, mm-hmm. especially and and uh, and while you can doubt whether or not they messed it up, they misused it. I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt more often than not. Um, so that's ultimately that's that's kind of where I was. You know, more and more messianic teachers I've met, um, they, I've been a little uh, disenchanted or disappointed with. Those stances they've taken uh, on that issue. We agree. Listen to uh, this prayer and pray with me, if you will. Master of the universe, fulfill our requests for good, satisfy our desire, and grant our request. Pardon all our iniquities and all the iniquities of our households. A pardon of kindness, a pardon of compassion, and purify us of our errors, our iniquities, and our willful sins. Remember us with a favorable memory before you and consider us for salvation and compassion. Remember us for long life, for good life, and for peace, good livelihood and sustenance, bread to eat, clothes to wear, wealth, honor, a long life, engaged in your Torah and your commandments, and intelligence and insight to understand and discern the depths of your mysteries. Grant a complete recovery to all our sufferings and bless all our handiwork. Decree upon us good decrees, salvations, and consolations. Nullify all harsh and evil decrees against us and dispose the feelings of the government, its counselors and ministers, upon us for good. Amen. And so be your will. <laughs> How cool is that? You know, it's right in your center. It's right in your center. Unbelievable, but true. God bless you, man. It is uh, it is good to have a minion again, and uh, is that like you know one pair? Is that was that was that I'm seeing there? It has a little curly cute thing. It's one big pair. Very, very, oh, oh is, is, is that from the back? Yeah, okay. 
to the second. Because from here, it looks like no pass, one pass. It's, uh, it's cool. So you just a hat. You can flip it to the other side. I got you. Okay, cool. Praise God. God bless you. Listen, if you're, uh, if you're planning to uh, open your sukkah for that week of Sukkot to the fellowship, you're going to want to let uh, Morgan know so that we can get that into the uh, announcements for everybody. If you have time, would you prefer that we do 